All right, we're going to get started. We're in Joshua. This is Wednesday night, February 7th, 2024. And we are at Joshua chapter 11. And I hope to cover a couple of chapters. And this is uh, the land subdued. Or it could be God's word tested and proven because we're, this is basically the last, uh, the final conquest of the land of Canaan, the promised land. So, like I said last week, this section of scripture is, you're probably not going to hear a sermon preached on any of this the next several chapters, but it is the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable, so we should read it. And I'm not saying that I'm going to read all of this from here, but each and every person, you know, as we're going through the book of Joshua or whatever book we happen to be going through, uh, you read it on your own. I will probably read all of this stuff multiple times, uh, each chapter multiple times as I prepare, you know, week to week. So it's not that I'm not reading it, but there's certain portions of Scripture that as far as uh, just reading it, to read it for the podcast's sake and, and teaching here, it can be just tough to do. It's tough to read through certain things. Last week I skipped over the section where it was talking about a certain king, and then, then it changed. All it did was change a name, but said the same thing over again, word for word almost. And then it did it like four or five times. So <clears throat> it's, it's hard to go over all that over and over again uh, for people to listen to that. And, um, uh, but still, know that it's scripture, know that there's uh, things that. They may not seem significant to us as we read it, but it's there for a reason. Now, what, I've, what I have found out over time is I think, I think that you, you, you won't see it in your lifetime maybe, but there's going to be, when we get to heaven and God lays out why it was written the way it was, we'll see all the patterns, the number of times certain things were said, <clears throat> and... You can, you can be reading something, and then it says it all over again. Like, why did they have to repeat it? We saw that in Deuteronomy many, many times. <clears throat> the reason for it in Deuteronomy and for it to say it over and over again is repetition, and humans need repetition to remember things. <clears throat> so, uh, chapter 11 of Joshua. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for um, the Holy Spirit to be able to move and, and be in us and help us to understand. And Father, as we read your word tonight and study it, we just ask that you would help to reveal your scriptures to us so that we can understand and that we can uh, apply it to our life today and to help others. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joshua 11. Now, they, they got victory over Gibeon. They had gone back to Gilgal. So now we have uh, another set of kings 
that have done the same thing the other set of kings had done. They had heard about all this, and they have joined together with a whole bunch of other kings. Uh, and it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph. See, I even have my pronunciation Bible. And the reason that I'm, I've got to take my glasses off and get down real close is this is regular print right here in my Bible that has these words broken down, names of places and people. Normally, I'd be reading out of my other Bible that's large print. So if you're wondering, what is he doing up there? All right, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains and of the plains south of Shinesh. Shinesroth, all right, you, you will more likely, sh I, I have a hard time saying it when I look at it pronunciation. I think we say it wrong and it becomes normal to us. Shinesroth is what you would normally see, R-E-T-H, not R-O-T-H. Well, evidently it's the same thing, but this is the Sea of Galilee. And you'll see it listed as that on certain maps. You get the Sea of Galilee up high, and the Jordan comes out of the bottom of it. You know, it, it goes into the top, comes out the bottom, and it goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. And that's where it ends. And so, Shenethroth. Shenethroth. I think that's how you say it. Okay, and then, uh, again, as you read further... I can't remember what chapter it is, but it's not too far past this. You will see the different spelling of it in the same book here, Joshua. <clears throat> so just know that that's way up north around the Sea of Galilee. And in the valley and in the borders of Dor on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and to the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite, in the mountains, and to the Hivite under Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, they and all their host, with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. All right, now these are the bad guys. And there's a whole bunch of them. And when, the, and when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hoe their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So basically disable the horses and burn the chariots. So Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Merom suddenly, and they fell upon them, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel and smote them and chased them unto great Zidon and unto, here's a big word, Misrafath Maiden, and unto the valley of Mizpah eastward, and they smote them until they left them none remaining. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him, and he hoed their horses and burnt their chariots with fire. And Joshua at that time 
turned back and took Hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword. For Hazor before time was the head of all those kingdoms. And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword, utterly, dest- utterly destroying them. There was not any left to breathe, and he burnt Hazor with, with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword, and he utterly destroyed them as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded. Now, we don't get the whole picture sometimes, and some of these things seem really brutal and unfair and why kill everybody and all that. We've, We've talked about it in the past. But as you keep reading this, you, you, there's lots of people who will see this as being too cruel, too much. But you have to always remind yourself, God is just. He's not making a mistake. We have to, we have to know that. So when a, an unbelieving person can pick up the Bible and open it up and see, see your God is so brutal. I don't want to serve your God. Look what he did to these people. Well, what they don't understand is how many times God gave them a chance to repent. And you can go to the story of Jonah, and you can see that the Assyrians were extremely evil people to the point where Jonah did not want to go there. And... If you know about what the people of Nineveh did, that nation, the cruelty that they put on their enemies, the people that didn't even want to be their enemies, but they would go and conquer and did unspeakable things to them. If you know all of those things, you understand why they need to be wiped out completely. But even at that, God gave the people of Nineveh a chance, and he sent a prophet to them to preach to them, Jonah didn't want to do it. Knowing what the Assyrian people were like, I wouldn't have wanted to go there either. They're the enemy of my people. They're brutal. I don't want them to be uh, protected by God. They need to be wiped out. But God is just, and he sent somebody to them. And even though Jonah didn't want to go, went the opposite direction, he ended up there by being swallowed by the great fish and puked up on the beach. And then he said, I guess I better go. And he did. And all the people repented, and it held off them being wiped out for a few hundred years. Now, they ended up going back, falling away, and God ended up taking them out in the future. But the point is, God gives everybody multiple chances, and he goes out of his way, to even swallow up somebody in a great fish to take them to give you a message. I mean, so we we have to understand that God is just, and this is okay, even though we may not completely understand it. All right. I think I've already explained everything I was going to read out of this commentary here, Uh, H.A. Ironside. Um, I know I've going all the way over to here, I've already, I've already explained everything that he said, because I've already read this so many times. Uh, you know, you can trust, you can trust H.A. Ironside, 
<clears throat> you can trust C.H. Spurgeon. You can trust A.W. Tozer. <clears throat> why, those, why, can, why can I say you can trust them? Huh? They're dead. Perfect answer. Because they're dead. They don't have a chance to fall, out, fall away. They don't have a chance to uh, mess up and do things contrary to what they've been taught and what they've taught, they have preached and, and all that. We will be disappointed by many people who we looked up to. And, you know, and, there, and there are certain people that maybe didn't get things exactly right in their, in their uh, doctrines, especially from, from way back. You have different views on especially end times things. So even though somebody like a Charles Spurgeon didn't have a whole lot of prophecy and future times, I don't think he had that down very well. But that's not going to keep me from learning all the other stuff he had to offer. Because he didn't... But you've got to remember, there's other people who outright teach heresy. They teach bad things that you have to really be, be careful of in anything you listen to because there might be something hidden in that that gets you off track. So prayer before reading other people's stuff and uh, just make sure you get into the Word of God yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. All right, how far did I get? I was at 13. All right, 13. But as for the cities that stood still in their strength, Israel burned none of them, save or except Hazor only, that did Joshua burn. And all the spoil of these cities and the cattle, the children of Israel took for a prey unto themselves, but every man they, every man they smote with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. Neither left they any to breathe. As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. See, they're, they're, they're following through with everything. We have way too many people who start things and do pretty good and then get discouraged and then they fall away from it. But... When things are easy, then the reward's not great. Uh, I mean, you can just look at football, as pitiful as that is as, as an example. But, you know, if, you, if, a, if an NFL team goes up against a high school team and wins 100 to nothing, there's no glory in it whatsoever. Now, when you go up against competition that is very, very good and maybe has proven to be better than you, and you go in and you try extra hard, you trained harder before you got there, maybe they were a little overconfident, and you came as, a, as, as an underdog, and you win. It means so much. So we should expect in our Christian walk that there are going to be tough situations that we come in contact with. There's going to be even what we would call, on a human level, impossible situations that we will come up against. And that's when God gets excited and is able to use us 
to get His work done. And when you see an impossible situation, know that this is, a, this is good because God can be glorified in this and just want to be a part of it. <clears throat> he wants relationship with you. He's called you to do things for Him, and uh, we need to not be discouraged and to try to keep moving forward so that we can uh, <clears throat> subdue all the land, all of it. So we're, we're seeing them get to the point where they're, it's going to be basically their final conquest as far as the major war being done. But as we read on through our Bibles, we know that they had many more battles throughout. So just because you've been given the victory doesn't mean you don't have to fight from here on out. There's still things you have to do. And just like the nation of Israel, they still had to do things. Even when they came into possession of the promised land, there were Philistines that kept showing up all the time. I mean, so as, let, me, let me finish reading this part, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, 16. So Joshua took all that land, the hills and all the south country, and all the land of Goshen, and the valley, and the plain, and the mountain of Israel, and the valley of the same, even from the Mount Halak, that goeth up to Seir, even unto Belgad, in the valley of Lebanon, under Mount Hermon. And all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save or except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all other they took in battle. For it was the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. Again, for hundreds of years before, he has been working on them, giving them a chance. But the iniquity of the Amorites had become full. It's scary to think that America is well on its way to its iniquity, iniquity becoming full and the horrible judgment of God is going to fall on this country. If we don't have a uh, big-time revival and turn things around, we're heading to the same place as a country. <clears throat> 21, And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains. Now, what's an Anakim? Giants. So, Goliath was a giant. David slew him later on. It's way after this, right? That he was a giant, a very large person. So, an Anakim is a, is a giant. From Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah... And from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in 
Gaza, in Gath, where was Goliath from? Gath, and in Ashdod, there remained. So there was a remnant of giants that survived that were in other parts or ran out to other parts. However, they uh, escaped. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the, the land rested from war. So, let's read a little bit out of here. Thus, this is A.H. Ironside. Thus God's word had been tested and proven. He had kept every promise he made when he first commissioned Joshua to go over the Jordan and take possession of the land. He had assured him that he would destroy the enemies before Israel and that if they kept his law and acted in accordance with his commands, they would never know defeat. And so it had come to pass. All right, so now that's, that's 11. Now, look at 12. Look at chapter 12 of Joshua. <clears throat> so what this is, you'll see over here at 9 down through the end of it, it's just a list of kings over and over and over and over again. So at the very end on 24, it says uh, 31 kings. So that would be on the west side of the Jordan. <clears throat> There was two kings. When you start reading 12, it's going to kind of go back over. Uh, uh, down here at 5. Talking about the kings on the east side of Jordan. And that's where the two and a half tribes stayed, had their land over there. And then the other tribes went over. And all the, once you get past... Uh, around seven or eight, and then it starts talking about all the things, on, on all the kings on the other side. And that was a, a long list. So it's going to be 33 kings total, two on the east side of the Jordan, and then 31 on the west side of the Jordan once they crossed over into the actual promised land. And all of 12, that's all it's talking about. It's just going back over again everybody that they conquered. And there's a big list for you there. So I'm going to read out of H.A. Uh, Ironside. It says, The 12th chapter gives us a list of the many kings who had fallen before Israel's triumphant march. From the day that they met the Amorites and the king of Bashan on the east side of the Jordan and of the lake of Shinnetherath, Sea of Galilee, until the last of the cities of Canaan had submitted to them. The lands of Sihon and Og had been allotted already to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The territories of the kings on the west of the Jordan were now to be divided among the other nine and a half tribes. Of this, the following chapters treat in detail. Joshua's victories illustrate the Christian's triumph over the unseen host of evil who, acting under the leadership of Satan, the God, little g God, and prince of this world, 
would seek to hinder believers from possessing, possessing practically that which God has given them in Christ Jesus. You see the parallel there. Uh, this whole story right here of them going into the promised land, it is a parallel of us coming into the kingdom of God and starting our Christian walk and Satan coming up against us, trying to stop us from possessing all the promises God has given to us. Many of us are defeated when we ought to be victors because of unjudged sin in our lives or because of sloth, or basically just saying uh, laziness, which hinder our laying hold of that which, for which God has laid hold of us. Blessed it is if we, like Apostle Paul, we recognize the importance of and I wrote down the, all the verse. Uh, he's, he's quoting out of uh, Philippians uh, 3, 13 and 14. He's, it says, brethren, this is, this is the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we need to be that way. That's New Testament. Paul telling us that we need to press. You know, we, we can make all kinds of excuses of the bad things that have happened to us in the past. We can, we can come up with all these excuses why we just can't do it when we're supposed to be forgetting those things that we can't really change now, but what can you change in the future? You know, break the cycle. You know, we, see, we see families and cycles of different things. We need to be, be people who trust that we are new creatures and we change and we stop those things that, that uh, hindered us before and that we could use it as an excuse for not doing things today and we look forth, reaching forth unto those things which are in front of us and pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When God has promised to lead us on from victory to victory, if we but cleave to Him with purpose of heart, it is the greatest folly to hold back and to fear lest we may not be able to overcome in the day of adversity. We may well take to heart the admonition of Philippians 3, 15 and 16, the two verses right after what I just read. It says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect or complete, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal unto even this unto you, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And then he says, let us hold fast what God has revealed. This is, this is uh, Ironside speaking. Let us hold fast what God has revealed to us already and go forward in dependence upon his Holy Spirit to appropriate 
the precious things into which we have not yet entered. And then he has an example of uh, one of Fanny Crosby's hymns, uh, the, the hymn, I Am Thine, O Lord. In that song it says, There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. Well, that gets us through 11 and 12. I know I didn't read anything out of 12, but you can read it. I've, over the last couple weeks, I've read it multiple times. And I really want you to read it so you can struggle with all those names just like I do. That's only fair. In the next chapter, the next two kind of go together. And as you, if, you, if you read ahead and you want to get into 13 and 14, you'll, you'll see some familiar things in it. Uh, when you get over to 22 of 13, you'll see Balaam, and how Balaam was one of the people who were taken out in this conquest of the Promised Land. And I hope you know who Balaam is. And uh, at the beginning of 13, Joshua, at this point, has become very old and well-stricken in years. I don't, it doesn't say well-stricken, but it says stricken in years. And then in 14, talks about Caleb. And he's now 85 at this point. When they finally get the, get the uh, final conquest in uh, Canaan, Caleb, so he, he's explaining where he's, he was 40 years old when they were supposed to go and spy out the land, and they did. Caleb and Joshua came back with a report that was very positive, and they had faith that God had delivered all that. They could, let's go right now, and let's go take the land. And all the other spies were against it. They were fearful. Now, because of Caleb having a, a good report and having confidence in his Lord, he was told that he could have what he wanted when they went into the promised land. And in 14 here, it's, it's Caleb going to Joshua, explaining everything that had happened, and the Lord had promised me, and this is what I want. And he tells, he, he tells Joshua what he wants, and what he wants is a place that was still a contested area that still had giants there. And he wasn't afraid of it. He, and, and, he, and he says, look, I'm, it's been 45 years since then, so the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and then they've been fighting in the promised land for at least five, because now it's, it's, he says 45, 40 plus 45, and then he says four, four score in five years, so he's 85, and he says he is still just as good a warrior as he was when he was 40. That's, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? He was probably munching on those grapes over in the promised land. Those grapes they had to haul out on the pole. And he's like revived. He's 85 and ready to fight some more. And he picks a place that he would have to fight more battles. He wasn't afraid of it. He could have, because he got whatever he wanted, he could have picked the most laid-back, safe area and just say, you know what? 
I'm an old man now, I need to take it easy. <laughs> but nope, He's like, I'm 85, and I'm just as good as I was back then. I feel great. I'm ready for some more fights. I want that over there. And he's like, you go for it. And that's Caleb. So I hope that we never, ever retire from our walk with God and get better and better as time goes on in fighting this battle against our enemy and against this world and against our flesh and that we will triumph as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. Father, we thank you for um, all these people who um, desire to know your word better. And Father, that as we learn more about you through, through your word, through the Holy Scriptures, that we will be better equipped and that we will be revived and that the older we get, the more we want to fight, the more we want to do for you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.